I think the goal is make AGI and provide that to the world. We're not trying to make the best doctor AI in the world. We're not trying to make the best lawyer AI in the world. We're trying to make something that's very general. It can go solve like this full host of problems. And really it's this general purpose solution that we're trying to solve. Welcome to season two of Building with AI, the show where we engage in conversations with world-class AI product builders and leaders. We help uncover tactical insights to help you build and scale better AI products. I'm your host, Harun Chaudhry, and today we're joined by Logan Kilpatrick, Developer Relations Lead at OpenAI. During this episode, Logan dives into the evolving AI landscape, challenges faced by developers, industry best practices, and much more. Additionally, Logan gives us an insider's perspective on the Sam Altman saga. But before we dig in, here's a quick word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Autoblocks, the AI optimization platform product teams use to create world-class AI experiences. So you just launched V0 of your AI feature or product. What's next? Autoblocks unlocks an intuitive yet powerful optimization workflow that helps you continuously understand, improve, differentiate your AI-powered products. Understand how your users interact with your product by connecting user activity to what's happening under the hood of your application. Improve your product thoughtfully and iteratively. Integrate testing of your AI products into your CI workflow and run A-B tests to see what changes are driving great user outcomes. Differentiate your AI products with powerful fine-tuning workflow that lets you turn product usage data into training data. Get started with Autoblocks for free at autoblocks.ai now back to the episode. Logan, welcome to the show. How's it going? Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So for folks that don't know you already or don't follow you on Twitter, do you mind giving a quick intro of yourself and your role at OpenAI? Yeah, sure. My name is Logan Kilpatrick. I joined OpenAI more than a year ago now, lead developer relations. And yeah, still thinking about the same problems, how do we make developers successful we're building with the OpenAI API and really excited to, to chat and, and hear some of your thoughts as somebody who's building the space and dive into the details. Can you give us an overview of the current AI product development landscape and some of the most exciting developments that you've seen recently? There's a ton of stuff that's happening in the consumer product space. I think a lot of people are building products and features using generative AI. I think a lot of 2024 will be hallmarked by the idea of people going out of that and building some of these experiences that are really beyond just like the quote unquote basic chat. So I'm really excited about that. I think on the developer side, there's so much investment that's being put into how could we make building with these APIs easier, more robust, more reliable. And I think the robustness and reliability piece are, are such a difficult angle of the large language model space, just because of the inherent nature of large language models. But it'd be cool if somebody does that and we can every preceding year, the general sentiment and there's official benchmarks that could be used to just like how this is changing over time. And I, I really think it's one of the core things we have to get right as an ecosystem for this technology to end up being as useful. Yeah, that's really interesting. So you mentioned robustness and reliability. So what are some heuristics that you can use to define those two things, knowing that it's maybe somewhat subjective and somewhat ambiguous in this space that we're operating in? Yeah, I think this is a great question. I think this actually goes into a lot of the challenges. A great example, this is around like RAG and retrieval augmented generation. There is no generally agree upon principle as far as how to do some of these things best. And people are solving 
the exact same problem many times in many different ways. And in some senses, great from an innovation standpoint, you could argue that probably 90% of those implementations from a API provider standpoint, we're doing things like the release at developer day of the seed parameter, for example, and check completions. When you generate random numbers, you can pass in a seed and that way you can guarantee consistent outputs. We're now doing something similar to that for check completions. You pass in the seed, given the same input prompt and the same temperature, you should get the same output. If you don't get the same output, we actually return to you this system fingerprint, which the way that we generate outputs is a little bit more complicated than a normal random generator. There's a lot of things that can change, even if the underlying model doesn't change in our backend systems. So I think some of these from an API provider standpoint should hopefully help people who are building in this space have an easier time of solving this robustness and reliability problem, but it's a challenge. I think there needs to be some robustness and reliability consortium or something like that. A lot of consortiums that need to be made in this ecosystem so that people can agree on. And so when you mentioned some of these things, being able to create the seeds for the outputs, just so you have more consistent outputs and you're able to control for the outputs just a little bit more, it's along the ethos or along the lines of introducing more determinism into the process of testing and iterating on some of these features that are maybe powered by LLM providers like OpenAI. How do you see the challenges that developers who are building in the space as being different than the challenges that they may be more familiar with in the traditional software world? I think some of the most difficult around LLMs from a builder's perspective, I think this non-determinism piece is one of them. I think another angle of this is the cost of running these services is really high in some cases. The latency piece from the user experience is also generally higher than most developers. There's a lot of things you can do from the user interface side to try to like what do you do with that potentially five or six second downtime when an assistant is or chat completions is generating a response to a question that the user asks? I think non-determinism side, there's a lot of interesting things that people can think about. How do you get consistent output? I think the C parameter is one of those, but I think there's a lot of prompting stuff that people have had to pick up to try to make some of the experiences that they're building for their customers a little bit more consistent so that you don't get wildly different experiences. And I have a lot of empathy for developers who are building because you have this trade-off of I want to build something that's like this incredible, magical experience. You can do that using our APIs. And I think on the flip side of that is because of the cost associated of running large language models, you now probably sooner than you would have with the traditional SaaS startup ecosystem lifecycle, you have to figure out that monetization strategy or how you're actually going to fund this project or company. There's a lot of retooling that developers and entrepreneurs have to do because of all three of those challenges. And those are just like, yeah, one of the questions I get a lot is when you're introducing a guardrails and controls to how AI performs or plays its role in an AI-powered product, you're essentially limiting its creative abilities and its ability to really leverage the unique advantages of using a tool like that. How do you see the dichotomy between introducing more controls over your AI versus enabling your AI to be creative in the ways that could be very beneficial and powerful to your end users? It is an interesting trade-off. I think our first real shot at trying to help people solve this is with the Assistance API. And I think why that's the case is because the Assistance API, it lets you abstract away the actual message conversation from the assistant itself. So you can dynamically pass around the whole thread of messages to different assistants. And this really gives you a substantial amount more control in what context do I want more freedom for the users and for the models to be able to answer 
as they have been trained to do? And in what situations do I really want to lock down and constrain the ability for these models to give outputs? Again, it's not like the ultimate end solution to this problem, but I think that layer of abstraction should hopefully be really helpful for people who are thinking about this. And you can essentially just like define different system messages, define different tools, define access to different things like files in all these different situations. And then from a normal software engineering standpoint, you have some state of a conversation and depending on where that conversation is in the application lifecycle, you change these parameters, give the conversation, pass it to a different assistant and make it have access to these different things. That's really interesting. And that's probably weaved into some of the messaging for the Assistance API launch that was just a few weeks back, but I'm not sure if I understood it that way, but that makes a ton of sense. That's a really interesting way to look at it. So are there other releases that OpenAI has done along the same thread of decoupling specific pieces around state that are facilitating this exact thing? I think assistance is our first shot on goal. It's still crazy to think now that like chat completions is like every time you send a new message through the chat completions API, it is completely unrelated to any other request that you've ever sent to the chat completions API. And I think it makes a lot of sense from a sort of priority stack of us building these APIs. But I think like now looking at that in comparison to the world of assistance where you don't need to worry about each individual message and keeping track of that history yourself, it's just like an order of magnitude more convenient as a developer to build something and not have to worry about all those details. I don't think we have like another product that's similar to this, but I'm hopeful that as we continue to build more and more of what we offer keeps in mind all the different, the statefulness of the problem that we're trying to solve. Because it really is, my gut instinct is it's a very stateful problem. The state of the conversation and all these other things matters. And therefore to make APIs that keep that in account and developers don't have to solve those problems themselves. What are some of the other big problems that you're working on right now in terms of the developer experience? So the state problem being one, what are some of the other big things that you're trying to move the needle on? There's a bunch of problems. I think a definitive answer on us actually solving these problems for people, but I think the top of my things for many folks is streaming is a big one. Like going back to that core user interface problem when you're waiting for a response, some of these long responses can be on the order of a few seconds especially in the context of like image generation and things like that. So being able to stream responses back, essentially partial answers. And folks are actually now more familiar with this workflow because of ChatGPT. ChatGPT streams the responses back to you in real time. So developers can do that using our API. They'll be able to do that with the assistance API soon. It's not available yet, but it, it will be soon. I think there's a whole sort of different problems that, that need to be solved. So lots of work that we have to do there. But I think again, there's an infinite number of problems. I think the real challenge for us internally is prioritization and what we get out to developers now versus later on. And it's the difficult juggling act and we're trying so hard to keep all these things in the air, but it's difficult. Yeah. And OpenAI is in a pretty unique position as well, given that y'all are definitely the trailblazers in this industry. Where do you see the boundaries of where OpenAI plays in the developer ecosystem? And where do you see the handoff to other tooling in the space? whether it be incumbents or whether it be new tooling in the space, do you have like a framework of thinking about that or is that somewhat open-ended right now? Yeah, this is a great question. I think it's an important question because of how quickly this industry is changing and because of how many people are startups. I'll, I'll try to give as nuanced of an answer as I can. I think the real difficult part for us is when you think about the life cycle of OpenAI as an organization, started as a nonprofit and didn't really have an actual consumer and enterprise product 
with traction. And I think it's for us to update our product vision and thinking around what are the guardrails, where's the limit as far as where we go and where we don't go is still something that's evolving to a certain extent. I think the North Star for us is we want to provide AI to the world. I think the goal is make AGI and provide that to the world. If you look at what it actually means for AGI to exist, the sort of core focus is on this general reasoning capabilities. Like we're not trying to make the best doctor AI in the world. We're not trying to make the best lawyer AI in the world. We're trying to make something that's very general, maybe interact with tools or other models, but really it's this general purpose solution. No, that's a very helpful answer. And I, I appreciate the detail that you went into there. And the follow-up question I have to that is a lot of our listeners are folks that are building in this space. They're not necessarily folks that are working at model providers, but they're building products using model providers like OpenAI. And what are your thoughts on where the opportunity actually lies and where also the risk actually lies for folks building in the space? when it comes to pressures from model providers and not just open AI, but really just model providers in general that are going to be continuing to expand the frontier of what's possible with the tooling in the space. They think, will OpenAI's models and will ChatGPT be able to provide a lot of value for people? Are we building an end-to-end product experience that is optimized for people who are trying to do sales? No, that is not the vision. That is not what we're building. And will somebody make a sales GPT? Yes. Is that the ultimate product experience that salespeople are going to want to solve their end-to-end sales problems? Probably not. I think it could be useful for them. And I think people will use ChatGPT to solve part of that problem from a specific angle. But I really have deep conviction that who is going to solve that problem best is like someone who is world-class at sales, who partners with a technologist, who deeply understands how to use AI and LLMs and, and merges those two things together. In many ways, I don't think this is any fundamentally different. Take some problem that you deeply care about, have conviction around that isn't very general, like easy to solve problem that LLMs can solve and go and solve that, build a great product experience, use this technology if it's beneficial for the product surface area. If you could imagine an AGI world where there's so much intelligence that you have access to at your fingertips, I think you need to go and solve the immediate problem of today. But I also think having the perspective of like, where can this be in four years and five years and eight years? And how do I make that the broader vision compelling enough? I think is something that's important with a lot of the quote unquote thin wrappers. I think you're solving some immediate problem today. And at least I don't see in in some of those cases, like you can really start with a thin wrapper if you have the path or at least like a vision of how you're going to get beyond that. And I don't think enough people are doing that because you become, you know, the normal sort of challenge of someone building something, you become blinded to whether it's the success or just in the cycle of I'm building this very specific thing. And you lose sight of how this becomes something that's much more than the initial product that you're building. Yeah, that makes complete sense. So to backtrack a little bit, you had mentioned something around industry standards. Do you see us moving towards a world where we're going to see consolidation in the best practices from a developer and builder standpoint? And also, how do you see us moving towards a world where there are more industry standards? And what do you think it's going to take for us to get there? Yeah, this is a great question. I wish I was more informed on the history of how this has transpired in previous iterations of rapid pace of technology development. I wonder if we're moving so quickly right now that the best practices of today aren't going to 
necessarily be the best practices of next week when there's 25 new open source models. And then a year from now, when we have a bunch more large foundation models that are even more capable, it's just tough to consolidate people on those things when there's so much exploration happening as well. I think this comes down to my instinct around it is that there's a lot of people selling different approaches and things like that. If you can take the nuts and bolts, you can probably get 85% of the way there. And for most people right now, that really works. I think if you have some use case where it really matters, you just have to essentially go and figure this out for yourself, which is not a great situation to be in, but there's a lot of nuance. Even RAG is a great example where there's someone can have some approach that works really well, but it's not robust potentially to like different use cases and different UX paradigms. Maybe it's not going to work perfectly with. There's tons of nuance to this stuff and you essentially have to go and try these things. And I think this is why people talk about all the boom bust cycles that happen in the context of the technology and just economy in general. I think we're so far away from that point, from my perspective, because of how much exploration is required. What do you envision as like the perfect world for retrieval and where we might be marching towards? I think in some sense, like people are figuring out best practices today. The Llama indexes of the world, I think is a great example where they're really pushing on. That's the nuts and bolts for them of trying to make that a great use case for people. I think on the flip side of this, though, my hope from somebody who just wants to build things and not have to worry about these implementations is that the model essentially becomes the level of abstraction on this, where the model understands, like it sees, oh, this is the data format that's coming in. This is, and it does the sort of the optimizations and it figures out the best practices itself. And that way you as a developer can just be like, here's what I have. And I think that the reality is who knows if that will end up being the solution to this a thousand different types of data structured in a thousand different ways. And we now need to go and figure out some rag strategy for each of those and all these different contexts. That's just like a much less fun and exciting future to me personally. I don't want to have to deal with that. I think the reality is today you do have to solve those problems for yourself. So I think there is a need for companies and individuals to continue what the best practices are. Get that information out. I'm always reading blog posts about what folks are working on. For us with the release of GPTs and the assistance API, it's again, really our first shot at doing retrieval. Like we're reading all the same great stuff that people are putting out there about best practices, trying to help contribute to that and trying to help make our implementation of this work really well. I think today, specifically from the assistance API, we have one specific strategy that's being done by default, but we actually talk about it a little bit in our API docs. It's really just like our first attempt at seeing how well a general solution scales for people. And the reality is it doesn't work super well in every situation, depending on the amount of files, depending on the type of content. One of many different RAG strategies, depending on what you know about your use case and your data, or even being able to bring your own strategy of custom thing that I've defined and how you define it, whether in code or a natural language, I think is like an open question. But I think we have to do that in the short term because I don't think there's yet a general solution that just works really well. And do you think there's going to be a requirement for the data warehouses upstream to create more intuitive ways of building a semantic layer and creating more intelligence around what the schemas actually entail? And so do you think that there's other stakeholders in this entire ecosystem that may have to make certain adjustments in order to feed the beast and make it easier for model providers to be able to take that context and make more use of it? I think that's likely to happen. I think this actually comes back to a very fundamental problem that we try to like purport onto large language models, but really it's like a human problem of I don't have context and I'm lacking this context. And I think it's 
incredible though that even for you and me as essentially AGIs working in a company and everything we could possibly want, we still have this problem. And I think that problem is not necessarily one in which we'll be able to solve. I think there's potentially like build a better product that has some built-in way of me understanding this, but I also think like AI can help really solve this problem because I need to find out why things are named a certain way in a database. I don't have enough time. It's also usually not an important enough problem that I'm going to spend three hours reading through a bunch of stuff. AI can just go and kick that off in the background and it can just analyze all the Slack history, the GitHub commands, yada, 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 and, and try to get context and understand like, why is something named the way that it is? What is the additional things that are related to it? So I do think it helps solve that problem. Like we wouldn't be able to do that as humans, mostly because it's not economically viable for us usually. And again, maybe there's certain circumstances where it is a really interesting situation where there's a whole order of problems today that just aren't economically useful for us to solve. And I think like AI is going to help solve a bunch of those problems. I imagine it has to be very positive, but it'll be cool to see. That's very clever. Where do you normally see the suboptimality coming from? There's two angles of this that I'm thinking about, one of which is I think there's just a lot of developer tooling things like the way people are trying to solve these problems that is is suboptimal. And I think just use the tools that are out there. Like a lot of people are reinventing things that have already been solved by somebody through some SDK or, or something like that. So go and find those tools so that you don't need to reinvent the wheel. But I think a lot of the service areas and a lot of the, the ways in which these AI products have manifested themselves is through these small features that kind of solve a reframing of the existing problem in a different way through a chat interface. And I think that's cool. And I think Maybe it makes sense to start there. What we've really missed out on is people taking a big swing at a difficult problem and trying to solve it using AI and LLMs from like a first principle standpoint. Like a lot of people are taking chat and sticking it on top of their existing product instead of being like, how should I build a product and how should it use AI to begin with? And I think you probably know this better than most of somebody who's thinking about this, but there's so many product where I can just get what I really want is to just ask a question and get the answer. Like that would be great for me. But what I have to do instead is go through seven different UIs and toggle a bunch of different features and all this stuff and spend a bunch of my time in order to get to the solution. And I'm optimistic that the next wave of companies that's going to end up being really successful are the people who are really thinking from the ground up, how can I solve this problem using AI um, and not how do I, and, and this goes into the classic innovators dilemma of why startups continue to be successful because large companies are going to be like, let's just throw AI on top of our existing product because they don't want to disrupt themselves. And it's the beautiful cycle of innovation for startups who are coming in, who can really build something from the ground up. And those experiences to me, as somebody who's just tried a lot of AI products are what get me excited. I just love that. It's a ton of fun and I'm excited to see what people continue to build. Like 2024 is going to be so wild because we're all going to get to try a ton of new products. I've seen all these quotes about like how long it takes to really build something that's awesome and compelling and useful. And there's so many people who I'm sure have been building for the last six to eight months, something really compelling. And we're going to get to start to see those now just because of how long. So it's super exciting. The last interview on building with AI was with the VP of AI at Intercom, which they're very bullish on AI. And so that's an example of a company that is getting with the times and understanding the power of these technologies. But I would say most organizations are a little bit apprehensive about going all in. They're justifying the idea that, hey, they have some sort of 
moat, whether it be their data or their existing user base, that's going to protect them and they're able to afford taking their time, which may be true to an extent. But how do you think about the mindset that they should be adopting in this new age? I feel a lot of empathy for people who are in that position. On the other hand, I also feel this being so close to the fire. Like I feel the heat. I don't live in San Francisco. So I meet a lot of people who are just being exposed to this technology. They know what ChatGPT is, though, for example, they don't know how the technology is going to be useful for them in their daily lives. And I think the onus is on OpenAI. It's on all these other companies that are ambassadors for this technology to go and talk to people and go and explain to people hey, here's why this technology is going to change what you're doing. So in some sense, I think it's an education. We need to do a better job of going and getting in front of these people who have apprehensions and have the conversation because the reality is instinct in my batch is that people are going to get killed by some of these AI native startups. Your company is going to, to lose users to these startups because of how much value that they can actually bring and how quickly some of these startups can move and You've seen this. There's many great examples of people building really compelling products. There's never been a better time in human history to be a part of a startup, to be building a startup, to be an entrepreneur. There's just so much opportunity right now. And because of consumer willingness right now to go and try new things, you could really get market adoption and set new behavior patterns for consumers because of how willing people are to adapt, which is the crazy part. There's still so many, if you look at hundred million weekly active use for ChatGPT, like that's a drop in the bucket compared to how many people are on the internet. And there's so much more. Yeah. And part of the technological breakthroughs that companies like OpenAI have been making, and we've moved from GPT-3 to GPT-3.5 to GPT-4, which in general has better reasoning capabilities. Now we have new vision models. We're moving to a world where multimodal applications are becoming much more practical, folks using them. And to describe over the past year, since the launch of ChatGPT on, I believe, November 30th, 2022, to today, the progression of the models, what exactly the advantages of the newer models has been with some of those bigger releases? And what are you most looking forward to in this next year in regards to the areas where we're gonna see the most improvements? Yeah, this is a great question. I think so OpenAI made the certain bet with the GPT-2 and 3 era that you could essentially continue to scale up the same fundamental architecture. And I think with GPT-4, proved to be true in, in a lot of ways. There's a research question of like, how far can you actually take this? What are the new features and things like the new usage modalities that come by continuing to scale this up? Maybe at a certain point, we can continue to scale it technologically, but a trade-off perspective won't be worth it because the new things that would require us to go and, and you know train the model in a, in a different way. But I think a year ago, some of the biggest challenges that have been solved from last year, I think the models have much, much higher context now, so you can put more stuff into them. They are more updated on recent events. I think it's getting content and making these models inherently up to date is actually a difficult problem to solve. I think there's a really interesting set of problems around when you take a model and you put it out into the world and you start getting user feedback like we have with ChatGPT and with our API. You just start to pick up interesting trends. You can think of any of these examples about user feedback around how the models need to be better. And, and oftentimes people are really concentrated around a specific area. There's this whole narrative at the moment that the models become lazy in certain categories. And it's desire to help people improve. It's putting more onus on the user instead of doing a lot of that work itself. So there's a lot of really interesting 
emergent problems to answer the question around like where I'm excited for the future to go. I'm hopeful that we'll be able to build both model development systems and just like product experiences that allow us to see things like that problem manifest very early on and catch them and then go and make the model much better. I think it's just like a really difficult problem because these models are so widely used for different use cases. This is the challenge for us of building a general purpose model is that like people are going to throw way more problems than we ever could at it. And it's interesting actually to think about like how the model can actually help us solve some of those problems itself. You use the model to understand the model's outputs. And if you've looked into any of the work that we're doing around like alignment and making these systems safe and scalable, it's actually one of the approaches that we're taking is our super alignment team is going to use AI to actually help make sure that AI is aligned and benefits humanity. So it's an interesting example of the same sort of approach that we could take to help solve this. There's a lot of interesting problems that I don't think you really start to see until you've gotten to the scale that we do. So my hope is the next year is, is solving a lot of those like fundamental problems. And I think that's like a very independent new modalities and stuff like that. And we saw this with Google's Gemini, like the model should be multimodal by default. All the input outputs should be multimodal. Like today with our API, you have to string together seven or eight different API calls to do what should really hopefully just be like a single thing, which is give me this input or output and I'll specify whether what input modality or output modality I want. What's your POV on the role of open source models in the broader ecosystem and any predictions for what 2024 may entail for the open source ecosystem for models? It's so interesting. The open source has been moving super quickly. I spent three and a half years helping lead the Julia programming ecosystem, open source programming language. So open source is, is near and dear to my heart. And I spent a, a good portion of my life helping push that ecosystem forward. I'm always rooting for open source. I think there's a lot of value that the world is going to get from open source models. I think having access to those models for certain use today actually makes a ton of sense. I, I think there's a lot of narrative around this like open versus closed model. And in a lot of ways and in, in certain contexts, like very absolute, like we can only have open or we can only have closed. And I think there's like a lot of great examples if you draw on just like the open source ecosystem in general, there's a lot of software that's open that's highly successful. There's a lot of software that's closed that's highly successful. And my instinct is that as somebody who believes deeply in open source, I don't think the future is going to be an absolute one or the other. I think they'll continue building open source models. And at the end of the day, I think it's a compelling reason to want an open source model because you can see the weights and you can do whatever you want with it. I hear people on that argument of it. I also think on the flip side, Will open source developers be able to scale and open AI from like an inference and latency? Will folks be able to do that? My gamble would be no. I would imagine that at the order of magnitude that the open source ecosystem maybe won't be able to make, but it, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Like I'm excited as a developer that people are building things in the open. Like there's just a tremendous amount of value and it'll be more interesting to see a lot of commercial companies that are building open source models and making the weights available. And it'll be fascinating to see. Is that a strategy from a business perspective ends up working out? I don't know, like today, Facebook.com and Instagram and, and all the other services, link open source models, the mistrials of the world and making them available to people. It'll be interesting. Got it. And from the context of a specific company, assuming a market of potential companies to sell to, do you see open source and closed source as being competitive 
for all of entirety? Or do you see a world where there may be just a divergence in use cases and more of a specialization of where each of those things apply? Or maybe a world where companies just have a black and white way of seeing hey, this is where I use a amazing closed source model and this is where I use an open source model and this is how the entire thing is orchestrated. I think it's really too early to tell right now. My instinct is that there has to be in some sense this level of divergence as far as capabilities go. And my reasoning for that is just a bet on the incredible people at OpenAI who are doing this work. I just think we have such an incredible team. Not that there's not a ton of other smart people in the world out there, but we spend all of time and energy on is how to make amazing models and pushing towards the world of AGI, that it's difficult to compete against somebody who's core bread and butter. This is, which is why like going back to the Facebook and Llama situation, do I think Facebook's going to make the most compelling models in the world? Probably not. That's not their business models. I don't know what their mission is, but like connecting people through Facebook and Instagram and all these other things, which is like a very different problem. Like our purpose to exist as an organization is to build the best models to create AGI. It's just a different problem space. So I do think there will be a bunch of value for those models, and I'm sure people will figure out how to make them really cheap and run on your device. And I know folks are already doing this in the open source space. So I think there will be a bunch of use cases where like today you probably can't put GPT-4 on your phone because it's just huge and requires a ton of compute to run. But there are a bunch of open source models that probably work really well and are optimized for mobile and contexts like that where you can't solve that problem unless you have one of these open source models today. So there's just still an opportunity for those really useful. Okay. So a lot of folks that are listening to this podcast right now, they're building in the AI space. There may be early stages. They may be folks that are a little bit afraid to dive in. What advice you have for builders that are building in the AI space that may not have gone all in just yet? You should go all in. This is the best opportunity in the world. There's so much consumers who are willing to try new things right now. There's so much venture money that's being spent on backing incredible founders and companies trying to take really ambitious. I think the two things that I say that I've continued to say to companies that I've worked with and talked to is one, come up with something that's really ambitious. Like just, again, solve people's real problems today, but think about how to solve the, the next sort of order of magnitude of problems that come after that uh, and have that be a part of the vision for what you're building. I think the second piece is, is much more tactical, but investing in design is one of the best ROI bets that you can make. Go and find a bunch of world-class designers to work on your company and an idea. And I think you can really tell when products are built by just a couple of engineers versus engineers who are working in conjunction with designers. The UX UI layer can be such a differentiator for keeping your customers and bringing in new customers, that's worth making those investments. I think design is just one of the most underappreciated things in general. And especially in the world of AI right now, it's not something that folks are investing enough in. Very well said. UI UX becomes much more important in this world. Uh, that's definitely for sure. Uh, so my next question, a lot of folks listening obviously have been very plugged into the events that have unfolded at the OpenAI but what are the thoughts and reflections and takeaways from the events at the leadership level at OpenAI over the past few weeks? I think the, the comment that I'll make is that OpenAI has grown so much from when I joined and I've only been there for a little more than a year now, and it has grown so much more from when so many other folks that I work with doing incredible work have joined. But I think many of folks have come post chat GPTs. The last few weeks related to our leadership has really been something that's brought folks together. Like I can imagine, and again, I'm not saying that this is the case for everybody who's joined, but I can imagine in some sense that your folks who have joined recently 
not at the peak of the hype cycle, but there's like a tremendous amount of like upward trajectory and hype. And I think the events of the last week have made it clear what would happen if that wasn't the case. Cause I think for a few hours or a few days, like it wasn't clear that this was going to continue. And not that I want to go through those events again, but I'm actually hopeful for the future that we'll be able to build less traumatic ways of, of continuing to bring the team. Cause like open AI is going to continue to scale. And there's so many new folks that are joining and there's so many more problems that we need to solve. And I think this challenge prioritization and keeping this really fast moving team cohesion together. It's just a challenging problem to solve organizationally. Hopefully we've learned a bunch of things around how to do that. Yeah. And from the outside, looking in for what it's worth, it's definitely appeared like the organization is now stronger than ever. So quick fire, a couple of questions for you. One, what is your hottest take that's related to AI? Something that most people wouldn't agree with, but you would die on a hill for. I think the sentiment has is changing in a certain way, but I still continue to believe that prompt engineering will go away as an edge. I think the models will just get better. And it's really a factor of humans are just lazy inherently, and we don't want to really type out what we have to say. And I think the model can help us and other messages like what it is you're really trying to say and show you that the fundamental nature of actually saying what you want which I think is how people frame prompt engineering today isn't going to go away but I think there'll be a bunch of UX UI and to be clear you're talking about specifically the user input into the prompt and from the company's perspective they're building the prompt templates and whatnot that are eventually being fed into the model providers do you see that also becoming obsolete in the future there's a bunch of human use cases that we're all used to. Greeting cards is a great example. If you go into Target or Walgreens and go and grab a card, it has a bunch of stuff in there. It's a prompt template, essentially. Like There's a lot of very real physical examples of this, and it's stuck around for a really long time and because of ChatGPT now, but I think that those sort of templates are growing away. I think my instinct is something that you can't really differentiate it over the long term. One of the answers I've received to this question in the past has been that somebody's hot take is that AGI is a myth and it's never going to be achieved. Obviously, working at OpenAI, I would bet that you're humanly opposed to that opinion or you humanly disagree with that opinion. But if you had to put a ballpark estimate on when AGI is going to be truly felt in the general population, when would you say that would be? The essence of the argument that AGI will never come really comes back to what is your formal definition of AGI? There's a, a whole subset of people who think what AGI is, is this self-aware, sentient, same level of emotional, truly what it means to be human, essentially. And there's a fair argument to be made that will never happen. If you look at it, and this is available on OpenAI's website, what our definition of AGI is, is AI systems that are as capable as humans at a large portion of the economically productive work that humans actually do. To argue that the model won't be able to do that, I think I don't agree with that. The models will be capable of doing these things. Very well said, and I appreciate you clearing up the definition for AGI because as we've known in the AI space for years, it's definitely a tendency for folks to downplay the capabilities of these systems as they become more proficient by dismissing the idea of what is AI, and in this case, what is AGI. And that puts a lot more rigor into the conversation. Thanks so much. This has been a lot of fun. Really appreciate you joining the show. This was incredible. Thank you for all the thoughtful questions. And uh, hopefully this was useful for folks who are building.